0: Praise God from Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 21. Last week, we saw that God remains faithful even when we are sometimes faithless. This week, we will see that God requires of His people that they decidedly choose to trust in His faithfulness and not their own strength or faithfulness. Did you hear that? He requires of His people That they decidedly choose to trust in his faithfulness and not their own strength or faithfulness. He will require this of Abraham today. And he requires it of us as well. God demands, it's not a question, he demands that we place all of our hopes of redemption In Jesus Christ. God requires that our confidence in receiving eternal life, eternal blessing, would rest only on the preposterous salvation that flows from the foot of the cross. In today's passage, God will tell Abraham it is through Isaac that your offspring will be named. What is God's point? Whatever His point is, and we'll try to flesh that out today, but whatever His point is, it must be very important. I say this because in order to make His point, in order to make His point, God will call Abraham to send away his own son. And you and I ought to be going, what kind of a God would tell his child to send away his son? He doesn't give him anything but some water and some bread. Under every normal situation, this seems terribly wrong. But Abraham's situation is anything but normal. And we have to read this passage. With the presupposition, and this is not easy, with the presupposition that the Bible is not only a textbook on morality. In other words, if you approach the Bible saying that the Bible will always encourage what is moral and it will always discourage what is immoral, you're going to be frustrated. Now, of course... The Bible does give us a clear statement of morality, does it not? In the Ten Commandments, the life of Jesus, it is about morality, turning from wickedness. But God is not making a point about his moral law in Genesis 21. He is making an emphatic statement about his covenant of grace. And he is making it clear, if we will have eyes to see, that this is the, the, the means of attaining blessing from God throughout all the ages. When God says, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be named, God is making a theological point. And I would argue, at least at this moment, This theological point that God is making is more important than Abraham being a good father to Ishmael. Chew on that for a little bit. It's hard for me to say that. It is really hard for me to say that. But I think it's true. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 21, follow along with me in this passage. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away, and she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a his, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Those of you who have been with me through the book of Genesis, you understand this. When you consider how long Abraham and Sarah have been waiting, The account of Isaac's birth does not have much fanfare. There are no songs of rejoicing of the goodness and faithfulness of God. They are clearly happy, but it is a relatively brief statement. And we are just simply told God did exactly as He said He would do. That is the key. God said it. God did it. In this brief statement, we see the importance of God's promises. Make no mistake, the promises of God are everything. God will do for His people precisely what He promised He would do. The entirety of our receiving God's blessing depends upon His being faithful to do what He promised to do. That's everything. 2 Peter 1 says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. The promises are everything. And the means by which you inherit God's promises... Always is faith. That's it. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, I'll state it now and I'll state it again at the end of the, the sermon. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You are to be people of faith every day you should wake up saying what are the promises God has given to me and I want to cast myself on those promises and believe that God will be faithful to his word on my behalf just as the birth of Isaac came about through the preposterous work of God so the salvation that is in Jesus Christ also occurs through the preposterous work of God. You see, I say preposterous because I want you to understand that that salvation always, there are no exceptions to this, salvation is always a supernatural work of God. It is never a result of human works. Ever. Ever. Unless of course you talk about the Jesus' human works, and that's a different category. God wants you every day to live by faith in that. Nothing brings a smile to the face of God so much as you're trusting in his promise to bless you. Of course, in his his way and in his time. Continue on in verse 2 and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the time in which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. In these verses, Abraham performs two actions. Both of them are actions of faith. And both of them are very important to us in this story. Abraham names his son Isaac, and Abraham circumcises Isaac when he was eight days old. Both of these are in fulfillment of commands that God gave in Genesis 17. God had said to Abraham, You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. At this time, God established that he would bring about his promises of blessing through his sovereign and supernatural work. Human effort is not sufficient. And Ishmael, and this is very important to understand this, Ishmael represents the fruit of human work. If you don't get this, you miss the whole point of the story. Ishmael represents what Abraham and Sarah did in their own strength to try to attain and achieve the blessing of God. Natural means versus supernatural means when you look at Isaac. And God wants, and I said this before, so this hopefully will bring to mind previous sermons, God wants every one of his children to laugh over the salvation of any one of them. I don't care if you were saved before you can even remember and your faith has been consistent, or if you were saved like a radical change after years of rebellion on your deathbed. It doesn't matter. Every redemption is a radical, laughable act of the living God. And Abraham and Sarah name their son Isaac in recognition of this. Do you realize of the church fathers, Isaac is the only one that doesn't receive a name change? Abraham, Abraham becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Jacob becomes Israel. Isaac, Isaac. See, God never changes the means of his redemption. It is always Isaac. It is always laughable. His sovereign and supernatural work. His sovereign grace. That's always it. And so when God tells Abraham to name Isaac, he is stating a statement, yes, I believe that salvation occurs because God has to sovereignly, supernaturally work. And we will laugh over God's work. I would also add that circumcision has precisely the same meaning. By circumcising Isaac, it is Abraham's faith that Isaac also will need a sovereign and supernatural work of God in his heart to be saved. Far from being a sign That circumcising someone is is a sign that my children are naturally saved. It is the exact opposite of that. It is a statement that there is nothing that Abraham and Sarah can do that can actually guarantee the salvation of their children. They are hoping in God's sovereign grace to do in his life. You see, the birth of Isaac actually establishes the very nature of saving covenant relationship. This is the way that God did it at the beginning. It's the way he does it throughout all of history. No one is saved except by sovereign supernatural grace. I hope you get this. The fact that God commands that the sign of the covenant be given to every male offspring does not change the nature of the covenant. Salvation is not based on human effort. It is not based on the natural work of human descent. If that were the case, if this were the case, if it could be some way based upon natural human descent or human effort, then God would have been perfectly fine with Ishmael receiving some of Isaac's inheritance. And God says, no, you will not come to this conclusion, Abraham. Verses 5-7, through seven, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears me will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, and yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Focus on the, on the word laughter. Because for Sarah, laughter is an expression of joy and amazement that God has do, done the unthinkable supernatural work of God to bring about Isaac's birth. And so Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. She is happy. She's, she's fulfilled because God is in, his, in accordance with His promise has done the impossible. As she is holding little Isaac in her hands, she is experiencing a taste of God's sovereign grace. But then Sarah says a, a very strange statement. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. What does that mean? Well, she's using the word laugh as a play on words. There are two ways that people will laugh over Sarah. They will either laugh at, in the same way that Sarah is laughing, because there's an acknowledgment that... it that God in his sovereign mercy is saving an individual. That's the, oh wow, that's wonderful. You laugh in that way. You can agree with God's work of salvation or you will laugh in a mocking way. And make no mistake that this mocking laughter is a denial of sovereign grace. Verses 8 through 21 have to be a part of this this, you can't separate verses 1 through 7 from verses 8 through 21. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Now you have to understand that weaning took place about three years of age in that culture. Ishmael is somewhere between 15 and 17 years old. He's not a little kid, he's not just laughing. He is old enough to know better. He knows what he is doing. And the fact that Ishmael is not ever named in this passage tells you that he is the bad guy. His mocking laughter is not explained. But if we understand Sarah's laughter correctly, we see Ishmael's laughter as a rejection of the supernatural grace. He's not recognizing Isaac as the the focal point of that grace. Why? Because he's also a son. Why can't I have the inheritance for myself? And in Galatians 4, it actually says that he persecuted Isaac. 4.29 And it says there very clearly, Just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. You see, Ishmael, for whatever reason, is is reflecting the same attitude that was in Abraham and Sarai when they were trying to conceive up their plan. They were going to bring about the blessing by themselves in their own efforts, in their own work. And Ishmael is buried, and he's the fruit of that, and he says, Yeah, I should have the blessing apart from this kid. God's plan, his sovereignly gracious plan, angers Ishmael. And so he takes it out on Isaac. And this sets the stage for the story. Sarah acts like any mother with her bear cubs. Start mocking my boy. Cast that woman out. Get the kid out. I don't want him here. Not getting any of my inheritance for my son Isaac, and Abraham's like, "Oh my goodness, what am I going to do?" I mean, you're just like, "I know." As this, this is off the cuff. I probably shouldn't even say this. It's always the husband's fault. <laughs> That's a tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> Sarah is wise enough to see the writing on the wall. She realized this is not a one-time statement. She understands that Ishmael is rejecting Isaac as the true heir. She realizes that he's going to be a constant threat. She sees the writing on the wall. She has intuition, and she wants Ishmael gone for good. And you have to understand that according to the codes of that time, Hammurabi's and some other ones that are going on during that time, the accepted son of a handmaid had a legal claim on their father's property. At the same time, Hagar and Ishmael are like slaves. So what would sometimes happen, you could send someone away, like like taking away their right of inheritance, but giving them freedom and that's very likely what's happening here it is a legal action of sending them away they no longer have any claim to the inheritance but they now have their freedom and this makes abraham sad he's displeased he's agitated he loves ishmael as i would say that normally we should encourage right the father protecting and caring for his son he loves ishmael But there is more going on than fatherly affection. And this is a part of the story that you have to see or you miss the whole point. Ishmael represents a remaining possibility of achieving God's blessing through human means. If things don't work out with Isaac, I still got Ishmael. As a potential heir. Abraham, I believe, is ready to refuse Sarah. Say, honey, there's other options. I can, I can work this out. Maybe I can c- convince uh, Ishmael, whatever. And you think, okay, work it out, Abraham. Be the peacemaker. And then in verse 12, the bombshell. God steps in and says, Abraham, don't be displeased. Whatever Sarah tells you, Do. Are you kidding me? Sarah's telling me to do something that is immoral. That's not good. Do it. Why? Because it's through Isaac that your offspring shall be named. Oh, don't worry. I will take care of Ishmael. I will make a great nation out of him too. But it won't be in any way connected to your blessing. Because your blessing is the eternal blessing and it will only come to you by faith in the sovereign grace of God. If you try to make this story a moral story, it doesn't work. And I have come to the conclusion that, yes, God wants to make us moral people. But he... I hesitate to say this. There's, there seems to be a precedent, let's just put it that way, that God is equally, if not more, concerned that you understand the nature of the covenant of grace... Even more than you just get morality. There's plenty of religions out there that will encourage morality. God does not want his people to ever think that they can achieve the promised blessing through human effort or natural descent. Man, it makes me so mad. That's exactly what Israel did. Think about Jesus' day. What were the Jews thinking? Because we are physically children of Abraham, we have the blessing. They take the very statement that God makes here in Genesis 21 and they flip it around and they say, Oh, human circumcision, we're in, we're God's people. This is so, uh, like, makes it turns the gospel on its head. And so in Galatians 4, 30 and 31, Paul comments on the Genesis 21 passage, only dealing with the people of his day, and he says, but what, what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, and he's talking to Gentiles who are not Jews, We are not the children of the slave, but of the free. We're the children of Isaac, how? Because we don't trust in our own righteousness. We trust in Jesus' righteousness. And I would say to you how difficult it is for each one of us to place our hopes for blessing in Jesus Christ alone. Dorian and Jess took vows today. That they are receiving and resting upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation. God wants you to put all of your eggs in the same basket. Our basket is not necessarily Isaac, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are to receive and rest upon him alone for salvation. Ishmael exists because Abram was attempting to achieve the blessing through his own efforts. And by sending Ishmael away, God is forcing Abraham to rest entirely on grace alone. Believing in Jesus Christ alone for salvation means rejecting every other possibility of gaining merit with God. It's the only way you can make sense of, of Abraham only giving Hagar a little bread and some water. Abraham gave more to strangers who came and visited him. He gives her nothing. Now, God proves that he's a moral God because he still takes care of Ishmael. <laughs> And he hears him and takes care of him makes him into a great nation. I would argue so that the descendants of Ishmael, should they trust in sovereign grace and God's provision, can themselves be saved. So how are we to apply this in our own text? I have two ways. Our own context. Never lose your confidence in Jesus. The whole book of Hebrews is written to try to encourage God's people to not let go of Jesus. To not think, oh, you know, this is what the world wants to tell you. Jesus isn't saving you. Jesus is all just a human religion, all this kind of stuff. Get rid of your confidence in Jesus. And I'm telling you, you cling to Jesus like he is your only lifeline. He is it. Never lose confidence in Jesus Christ, because he's the only one by which the blessing of God can come to you. There is no other fountain of blessing. There is no other blood that will do. There is no other righteousness. And the promise is this. All who rely on Jesus Christ through faith and patience will inherit the promises of God. He is the only basket in which you can put your eggs. Secondly, and I think this is probably true, more of us who are here who are trusting in Jesus Christ, God will call you to cast out the works of your flesh. You're probably not going to have this explicit get rid of Ishmael kind of statement, but he will call you to get rid of all the works of your flesh. See, Paul in Philippians 3, he's actually stating this about his confidence in his own righteousness. He says, for we are the real circumcision, meaning Christians who trust in Christ, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes through his whole list, and then he says, but whatever I have, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. See, your list will not look like Paul's. But I want you to think about that list in your life that makes you feel good about yourself. That enables you in some sense to boast over others. Maybe you have been a hard worker. Maybe you have been a good father or mother. Maybe you have faithfully come to church your whole life. Maybe you have repented of some sin. I find it interesting that the that our own confession says that repentance is absolutely necessary for salvation, but we are not supposed to rest in our repentance. Because your repentance can't save you. Only the sovereign grace of God saves you. Maybe it's in serving others around you. Maybe it's being kind to others. Maybe it's having the right doctrine. Maybe it's in having, maintaining good health. I don't know what it is, but there are things in your life that make you feel good about yourself. And Jesus says, cast them all away and lean on Jesus Christ, your hope of redemption. Paul says, I count everything a loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. I count them rubbish. And do not underestimate how important your works are to you. We are like Abraham who said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, God, may you just accept me based on what I have done. We want that. It is ingrained in the fiber of your being. And I really believe, I was talking to Tara a little bit about this today, I believe that... that God will throughout your life take away some of the things that you have taken most pride in. Just pull them away. And you'll say, why? I thought I did what was right. I thought I did what was good. Why are you doing this? He says, I want you to know it's all about me. It's not about you. See, God wants you to laugh as well. He wants you to laugh at his sovereign work. If you're going to mock anything, if you're going to ridicule anything, ridicule your own righteousness because it won't do anything before God. Amen.